0: All right. Well, we should uh why don't we get started? And um to open, Felicia, you had a follow-on question for Ali from last time. Yeah, I just thought so many people were inspired. I got a lot of texts and DMs from the conversation last week. And
1: I was just curious, Ali, what words of wisdom? Like it was just such a beautiful conversation. And there were a lot of people in the room who could identify with your story. So what advice or what words of wisdom would you give them uh, based on your journey? Yeah. So if I was to look back, that's a great question. If I look back on, you know, myself 10, 15 years ago, what advice would I give to myself? Um, You know, I would say um, there's a lot of opinions out there you know, you're early on, you're not sure, maybe you're a little bit uncertain about what you're doing, uh, whether the strategy or what you're pursuing is the right thing. And you ask a lot of people for their opinion. And lots of people have opinions. Uh, But they're not necessarily right. So just focus on, you know, what you actually believe in, and look at the data. And I would be more certain, actually, now that I look back, Rather than, you know, there's just so much noise. You know, people saying no, don't do that. Don't do it this way. This is wrong. This is that. And, you know, lots of people that are smart are very certain about their opinions, but they might not be right. Uh, So in some sense, just, you know, focus on the data and focus on what you know and what you believe in and just pursue that. And if you do that with grit and work extremely hard at it, uh, you know, chances of success are actually really, really high, much higher than you think, um, at least when I look back back then. And if it doesn't work out, you have another go at it. Um, but you're going to eventually, if you just have enough grit and enough hard work and you think it through and you go just by first principles, um, ignore the noise. Uh, actually, ignore a lot of the advice a lot of people give you. So, you know, maybe that's not good advice to give on this show. No. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, No, no I, I agree with that. I think that that's
0: exactly right. You know, part of the problem is you know, people give you advice for themselves. You know, it's like, what should yeah. I do with my career? And then they give you career advice for them not for you
1: and yeah. uh
0: you know knowing yourself is you know and then and having the courage to bet on yourself is, is so important
1: yeah th- there's also very few people that are actual original thought leaders in anything most people just repeat what they've heard you know like the vast majority of the population um uh, so, you know, they might be more experienced than you and they might have, you know, fancy titles and CVs and, you know, and they'll tell you, no, know, this is how it is, like, that's a bad idea. Like, you know, it's well known and then they'll bring up some arguments, but they haven't actually, they're just repeating what they've heard. And, um, you know, those are not, they're just telling you what common wisdom is, but if you're just gonna follow common wisdom, you're actually unlikely to actually do something great. You have to go against it uh, to change the world.
0: Yeah, no, that, that, that's all right, no, that's all so right. <laughs> The, what everybody thinks is exactly what'll never make you any money.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or make you stick out, or succeed, or you know, or change anything. Like you know.
0: Yeah. Right. Right. And you you'll, you can't ever do anything important if everybody has already thought of it. And that's I think that's the trap people get into. It's like, well, I, I want to do what people think is smart. Well, what people think is smart is the exact opposite of what you should be doing. Um, yeah. Everyone knows that yeah.
1: this is like this or this is like yeah. that. Everybody knows this. yeah. Right. Yep. yep. And it was wrong.
0: <clears throat> exactly. And that's, and that's where the opportunity is for sure. So let's get into um, some, some boss stuff. So nobody likes, I've never heard anybody say, hey, I wish my company was more political. I wish, you know, we had kind of more knife fights, you know, amongst each other. And manipulated each other more. But yet, there are many, many companies that are highly political in nature. And how does that happen? How do you avoid that as a leader? Um, because it's clearly not enough for the leader to not be political.
1: That doesn't do anything. So, what is that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's what every startup founder struggles with as the company gets bigger. I think politics will creep in. And I think you will always have politics. So, um, I, you know, I don't think it should, you know, we're just going to eliminate politics from, from, from my company. That's not true. The politics is there so that you can align other people with your, what you're trying to, with the agenda you have. And when yeah. you have lots and lots of people in an organization, they need to get aligned. Uh, and especially if decision-making is not super clear cut, uh, then you need to apply politics to get influence or, you know, influence change in the organization. So that's why, as you know, add number of people that happens. Um, You know, I think one thing that we've done, we focused a lot on at Databricks is to encourage truth-seeking. I think one of the first things that uh, suffers when politics creeps in into the corporation is that, you know, truth is the first thing uh, that they sacrifice. Uh, So in some sense, there's two factions and they're fighting each other because they have some political agenda internally in the organization to do something or not do something. And they're just bringing up those viewpoints. But if they were actually more truth seeking, um, you would be able to actually counter that. So at Databricks, we've had this. So we we encourage as a culture principle. We have four culture principles. You know, one of them is truth truth seeking, uh, where we say let the data decide, um, yeah. and we encourage people to bring up uh, whatever the data is and the truth is, uh, no matter how unpleasant it is. That way, uh, you. When people bring up, we should do this or that, you can actually challenge them with the truth. Um, And we also encourage positive things that are great data points and things that are bad. So every exact, every presentation has to cover highlights and lowlights. So it's part of the culture that, you know, everything, every report that goes out in Databricks internally always includes lowlights, what's not going well. Even when we celebrate, when we crush the number, when we do really well, there's a focus on the things that are not going well. And we just made that part of the culture uh, so that nobody sort of needs to be, Worried about it. So you
0: you brought up a really good point, which is okay, if there's a way to get the decision made that's well known, if you know how to get something done in a company, there's not a need to use politics to get it done. But if there are things that need to happen and there's no way to get the decision made, or no easy way to get the decision made, or no process. Or no way of doing things, then you know politics are kind of what you rely on as you know, somebody in the company. You've got to manipulate the system to get your goal and kind of achieve your objective. And so, <clears throat> yeah, that's why you know, I think kind of organizational design, kind of processes, decision making, fast, sharp decision making, all these things end up being in a lot of ways, the antidote to politics, because politics is the other way to get it done. Um, And so if the main way doesn't work, you know, that's what you're going to get, whether you like it or not. It doesn't matter if you like politics. I'd say the other thing is like, you can really accidentally encourage it. Um, So I, I give you an example. You know, if you listen to, you know, sometimes people will say something to you and they're not saying what they mean. They're saying something to use it um, to get what they want, and I will give you an example. So, when I was a young CEO, I, you know, I had this very, very, very experienced guy who was um, CFO. Not Dave Conte, by the way, <laughs> but he's okay, a different good. guy. <laughs> uh, and he says to me, "You know, you know, I've got so much experience. I've, you know, been at these big companies. I think I could really do more. I could be, you know, a, a CEO, coo at, at at one point, and." I said, oh, I said, yeah, you know, the, you know maybe you could. Um, and that's all I said. <laughs> and the next thing I know, he was running around telling all his peers, you're going to be working for me. Ben just said I was going to be the COO. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I had no idea that's what that conversation was about. Um, but that is, you know, particularly if you hire somebody from a very large environment where politics are essential. To functioning, um, you know, you can find yourself in that situation. So you have to not just know, you know, you're not just having casual conversations with people. At some point, you know, everything
1: has a purpose, and you have to understand what their purpose is. That's a great point. By the way, he, that person, the CFO, he or she um, (laughs) violated truth seeking, right? (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it was all deception right so that's so if that's a cultural principle in you it might seem abstract to folks but if you tell people that no we're really seeking the truth here that's the that's the principle we have and it can even get weaponized in the company that's i think good because it drives home the point that you know no we really want the truth and the whole truth nothing but the truth um and then you can't get away with things like that where you can imply that ben horowitz said this or that uh when he actually didn't exactly say that um, yeah, It might not work in one case, it might not work for that particular person, but as a whole in an organization, when you drive that cultural principle, uh, I think it actually starts having impact on how decisions are being made.
0: Yeah, the other thing about it is, like, you, you're never a CEO, you're never talking to just one person. So yeah. you may think you're having a conversation with a person, but you're having it with the whole company all the time, because whatever you say is going to carry. And, yeah, you know, it can be on a, a, a really simple thing, you know, one is, um, that people run into all the time. Somebody comes to say, you know, I've really performed well. I, I believe I, I need a raise, you know, like, um, you know, I, I'm underpaid. Uh, you know, I've called my peers, dah, 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 this and that and the other. And if you give that person that raise um, as just like, which will make them very happy in that conversation, by the way. So in that conversation, that might feel like the right thing to do. But and, and you can even tell them, oh, but keep this very, very confidential. But, yeah, they'll go home. Yeah, you know, they'll tell their husband, hey, you know, I got a raise. And then, you know, at the company picnic, the husband, How, how's it going? Oh, it's great. You know, Myra, she got this amazing raise. What? Like, I'm better than her. Why did I get a fucking raise? Like, I didn't even know they were handing out raises. And then all of <laughs> a sudden you have that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, which is why I encourage people like, you know, Any kind of thing like that, where that where fairness is going to be important to people, you have to run a process where everybody gets considered, not just the person that you're talking to at the moment. And that's not just true in raises, but any conversation you have, you can't think about, okay, what does that person want? What's going to make them happy and like more loyal as an employee? It's what would this sound like if everybody was listening to me? Because everybody's going to hear it.
1: That's a sad thing about that job. So it's a good idea as a, as a, I think, CEO to also have a principle. What I have is all these decisions, as I said before, no hallway approvals. I put it, <laughs> yeah. in, I put it in email. So, you know, I want to put it in the email. And the email can be forwarded. So I, it makes me think twice about what I put in the email, right? Because people forward emails all the time. So, yeah, if you want to give that person a raise, put it in an email. Say, so ask me over email and I'll reply to it. And then it can be disseminated. And then you know that it might be disseminated.
0: Right, right. Yeah, that—that's a good practice to just slow yourself down. Like, yeah, you, you know, Give you, all you, Yeah, you want to feel responsive. You're the CEO. You want to kind of unstick people, but like that—that's going to be way more expensive than than waiting, and writing. It's also, in.
1: yeah, it's also easier to do the hard thing about hard things, you know, than in person.
0: <laughs> the, the easier way to do the hard thing about hard things. That's good. Yeah, that, that, yes. that should be yes. the
1: sequel. Yes. The other thing I would say is, um, you know, you want to, th- there's many different aspects. I think sometimes it's, if, if it's two different departments and it's not clear which one decides, so they're sort of nobody's superior, they don't report to each other. That's, mm-hmm. you always have politics in those situations because there's no way to really clearly, th- there's going to be trade offs between those two departments. They have slightly different interests. So politics will ensue. And yeah. that will just go on because that's the only weapon they can use to try to drive this forward to a decision. So I think in those cases also uh, finding someone that can actually break the tie and coming in up from above, whether it's the CEO or someone else, and designated that person and saying this person does that, I, I'm a big fan of that because uh, then you can have sort of people that even if they uh, they don't sort of report to each other, having someone that can go in and do that, uh, I think and then unblock the decision and move it forward much faster.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. My uh, my old mentor Bill Campbell uh, said to me, you know, he he has since passed away, but he he was such a a great he he was so great on this one and he he says to me he goes yeah when i was ceo i used to feel like i had a striped shirt on and i was like what do you mean a striped shirt he's like you know like a referee <laughs> I <was> like, okay <laughs> and i didn't even know what he was talking about at the time but he was talking about it exactly what you're saying which is like you know people are going to foul each other all the time You you have to make the call and if you don't make those calls then the game's gonna get dirtier and dirtier and dirtier until they're just fighting. Um, and so you know, you have to have a referee in a company and you've got to make the calls. And then everybody's happy. It doesn't even matter if they won
1: or lost, just resolving it is such a huge deal. Yeah. And if it's the same two departments all the time, you might actually think about changing the org chart. Um, yeah. so that the so that actually the tiebreaking is automatic. So if one reports to another or another person takes it over if, if you don't want to be the person that does that all the time which you might want to do i actually prefer doing it yeah. for for some decisions because they're so strategic to the company
0: well the other thing you can do which i did once is the the freaky friday which uh for those of you who haven't <laughs> seen the movie it's when the, the the mother and daughter go like they hate each other so much and they wish they switched places and their kind of spirits switch bodies um so the daughter <laughs> was in the mother's body and vice versa but I did that once where the head of customer support and the head of professional services were always ready to kill each other because they both thought the other one wasn't doing their job. So I just had them switch jobs. Um, and then they immediately understood <laughs> each other and all the fighting stopped. So it was it was just like the movie. <laughs> that's a great <laughs> trick. After which point I thought, you know, that's one of the greatest movies ever written because
1: <laughs> it, it really works. Um,
0: the other thing is very I- true.
1: I have to try that. I haven't actually tried that ever before. Uh, the other thing is, you know, uh, you know, initially when I built the uh, executive team at Databricks, you know, many of them are really, really competitive uh, and they really want to win and they're yeah. proud. And one of the difficult things is to get people to actually sort of open up and talk about things that are not going well. I mentioned it earlier, getting them to highlight the lowlights of things that are not going well, but, you know, they were still bringing up lowlights that were kind of you know, not really important. They were not really getting to like, hey, we're really screwed up. They wouldn't cover those kind of things, right? You'd hear them yeah. through the grapevine or someone else, right? Right. So, right, right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so you know, the
0: the, the the low light, the lowest light that I'm willing
1: to tell you about. Exactly. 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 So yeah, you know, I'm too hardworking. That's my biggest weakness. Um, you know that kind of stuff. So yeah. one thing I started doing is, and uh, I was inspired by, especially sort of a lot of the Lencioni books, um, to get mm-hmm. to the. This level of kind of what he calls trust-based vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of thing you do when you go home to your spouse. And at the end of the day, you say, you know, I screwed up. I think I'm going to get fired at work They're, You know, I think it's over. And they say, they're there for you. Right. And they say, no, 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 no. Well, why do you say that? Let's try to fix it. No, I don't think it's so bad. So how do you get that kind of relationship with your executives? So I just started just opening up much more to them and talking about my mistakes to them. Like, Uh, I think this was a massive mistake that I did, you know, and I think this was a strategic mistake. I did it. And then you talk about that. They'll slowly encourage a culture in your company of talking about your mistakes and things that are not going well. Uh, And I think that's really, really important. If you are, uh, if you're always perfect and you don't make any mistakes, if that's the way you are as a leader, they're going to mimic that. So of course they don't want to admit their mistakes and their low lights to you. Yep. Um, so kind of
0: yeah, that's a great insight,
1: so just that's just something I just now do, and I sort of push myself to do it as much as possible it's un- uncomfortable, of course, you know, uh, but yeah, other well, well, and, and,
0: and the more approximate the mistake, the more uncomfortable it is, right like it's easy to talk about old mistakes, yeah, it's new mistakes that are uh, particularly embarrassing,
1: yeah. yeah. So talk about the most biggest ones and, you know, do post-mortem on it and going to the ones that are really painful for you. The more painful it is for you, the the more it's going to set the cultural precedent that that's what we do at this company. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Right. We're honest with ourselves. Yeah. We don't lie yeah. to ourselves, which is, yeah. which is kind of one of the key. I, I would say that's maybe one of the most important um, cultural traits you can have in a company is that you don't lie to yourself like when something's broken you fix it as opposed to you excuse it away or you know rationalize it or mark used to have this thing that he would describe like you know if i had a manager like that he would go you know what his management style is been and i was like what defend deny ignore <laughs> and i was like <laughs> okay <laughs> but that's that's kind of what you you know what you want to break down like how, how do you get people to to not lie to themselves
1: because that's what they're doing yeah. when they do that. Yeah. So help them become truth seeking. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a that that's a great point. Because um, look, there every company has a lot of problems, and the difference between a well executing one and a poorly executing one is the well executing ones admit they have a problem and fix it, and the other ones defend, deny, and ignore. Uh, and so it's a, it's really kind of a fundamental concept. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so next question this is a, this is a good one. We are hiring a couple of new executives on the leadership team. What are the things you would do to ensure the success of these new hires? What are the leadership team dynamics to encourage and what to watch out for? Additionally, how do you determine, but not too early, that someone is not working out? Finally, is there a function specific advice sales versus engineering versus finance so that's a lot in one
1: yeah that's but, a lot uh, we can break it down yeah so you, yeah so do you want to start well i can start by uh, quoting you i've said this before i you know when i hire new execs i sent them i always send them the counterpoint ben horowitz on micromanagement
0: yeah it's actually right. part
1: of my onboarding i send it to the new exec Yeah, that uh, was one of
0: my favorite things because uh it was a right a counterpoint to one of Mark's um, posts.
1: Yeah, and I, yeah. I send them, and I highlight, and I then read them this following quote from it. Yeah. Uh, I just Googled it. Uh, I mean, I send them the whole link, but I read this part. Specifically, there are times and yeah. uh, situations where micromanaging executives is not just okay, but it's the right thing to do. Um, Andy explains, employees who are immature in a given task require detailed training and instruction. They need to be micromanaged. So I just quote that and I say, look, that's what we're going to do in the first six months. And that's just kind of the way it works at Databricks and all the execs went through it. And that way it becomes normalized and they know what to expect. That way I can help them as they settle and I can show them the way. Because every company's culture is different and how decisions are made are different. And you don't want to have these execs coming in with the guns blazing saying, hey, this, this is how it's done. They're very likely to fail. And you need to get these execs to have a couple of wins in the first six months. They need to come in and have some wins under their belt. And for that, you need to kind of help them and guide them and a little bit micromanage them towards those wins so that the organization says, wow, this person was pretty good actually. You know, oh, you think he's good or she's good? Why do you say that? Well, did you see what they did with this thing? That was pretty neat. Yeah, that's true. You know, they, that, that is much better now. They fixed the comp issue or whatever it was, the communication issue or the day off or whatever.
0: Yeah, no, that's that, that that's such a good point. Um and I think the, the thing that people miss is uh, you know, when you're a CEO, particularly a founder CEO like you bring in a CFO or a head of sales like they actually know the domain better than you so then you think oh i shouldn't micromanage them because they know their domain but the danger with all outside executives is that they come into your company and they do the job that they did at their last company because that's what they know how to do and yeah. that is almost always a big mistake because th- their last company and your company are very different and so, kind of to your point, you know, one of the things I used to like to do with executives is just say, look, for the first week or maybe two weeks, even depending on them, every day at six o'clock, you and I are going to sit down and I want to know everything you did today. And then I want to know everything that you did yesterday. And then just hearing them talk, you get a real feel if they're off track. Oh, I, you know, looked at the budget all day, or I, you know, whatever, it, you know, dumbass thing I was doing that has nothing to do with what he should have been doing um, happens all the time because they just don't know. And so you go, no, 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 you need to win. It's exactly what you're saying. You got to go like, we have this thing. One of the reason we hired you because this shit was broken. So I need you to fix this like in the next three days um, and go do that. And then, like, worry about the strategic first—you know—all the Stephen Covey bullshit. Seek first to understand, then be understood. It's like, no, no, no. You got to understand fast, motherfucker. You don't have a month to fucking survey this company and know what the hell's going on. And then, you know, once you do that, so you go do that, and then come back and tell me what you did. Oh well, I was doing this. Oh, you were doing that, Paul. Have you talked to Fred? Because Fred knows all about that. You need to meet Fred. And he didn't know that, you know, meet Fred, or or you need to look here for that answer. Or you need, And then you can kind of coach them through the win, and then that gives them a real feel for who are the important people they need to work with, how does the organization function, what are the real priorities, all that kind of thing. And those are so essential for getting them to stick because, you know, when they don't stick, <laughs> it's usually because people go, wow, that guy came in here. Ali gave him a fucking giant stock option package, way bigger than mine. And he hasn't done anything. And yeah. we're 30 days in. Like, And then once enough people say that, nobody's going to listen to him. And then you have to fire him. Because it doesn't matter how good a leader is. If nobody listens to him, they have no followers. It's over.
1: Yeah, they get them some wins. They have to get some wins under the belt quickly. Everybody's everybody's watching to see, you know, jury's out, is this person going to make it or not? You got to give them some wins and you got to help them get some wins. And actually you can, you can donate some wins to them. Things that you know should be done that are going to make them popular. Give them, hand those out to them, let them get credit for it. Um, yeah. The other thing I would say is it's really your job. I think a lot of CEOs are thinking, well, did I hire the right exec? Are they successful? I think one way to simplify it is your number one job now that you hired this person is to try to build trust with this person you need to build trust with this exec. That's your number one job now. Yeah. And, and then number two, get them to build trust with their peers. Focus on those yeah. two things. You know, don't be so obsessed with, did they get this right? Like they want to change, make this change in this way. I disagree with it. Is this person smart? Is that not? That doesn't matter. You need to build trust with this person. You're going to work together and go through a lot of stuff and make a lot of decisions over the next many years. Build yeah. that vulnerability-based trust with them. Admit mistakes. Open up to them, spend a lot of time with them, get to know them on a personal level. I think that's what you need. Once you get to that level of trust, only then can you actually really do well together. I don't, I don't believe in you know a transactional e staff that's just you know it's just some reporting lines and people are just making decisions and you know good and bad decisions and moving forward. It does, it doesn't work like that.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's right. Because without the trust, um, then information is not going to flow between you and that executive can't succeed without great context from you because the thing that you always underestimate particularly if you're the you know if you're the founder is you have like nearly perfect context on the company you know exactly yeah. how the fucking thing works and how to move it and how to get out of it what you need and somebody coming from the outside has zero context so that gap is just massive and the problem is It's all like second nature to you at this point. It's kind of like, you know, you know your own birthday or whatever. Like, you know it. But, you know, I don't don't know your birthday, Ollie, (laughs) But you know it so (laughs) that you just expect that everybody knows it. Like, why, you know, how how would you not know how Databricks works? Um, And there are so many nuances and so many details and so many decisions you've made over, you know, nearly like a decade in operation. And the new person knows none of that and so without that trust you can't find out what they don't know and then you can't you know help them come up to speed with that context so that's such a great point uh and and and, and it is like 100% the failure case on executives is they never get the context um and that that that's Unless they're like, unless they suck, right? Unless you actually made, you you didn't even evaluate them in the references and in the interview, then they should at least be able to last a while. But if they like literally don't stick in the first quarter, then
1: that's probably you didn't give them the context. Yeah. The flip side of this is also... Uh, you can actually take this to the next level by saying, okay, so when you're hiring a person, you're evaluating them, you're doing backdoors, you're making sure that they know what they're doing. They have the right experience. You check with everybody else things, but what you should be doing is you should actually be spending a lot of time with them one-on-one to see, yeah. do you actually, can you actually build a trustful relationship with, is this a person that you would actually eventually get along with and like? and build that kind of relationship with? Or is it actually yeah. a person that they're awesome on paper, they have the great CV, everybody likes them, the back doors are awesome, but you kind of don't like this person. You wouldn't want to spend too much time with this person.
0: Yeah, that is such a great point. Um, you know, And Mark used to say that to me and I used to be dismissive of it, And but it's, it's so much a thing. Like if you don't like spending time, like if you go to dinner with a candidate and you can't wait for the dinner to end, you better not hire that fucking person. Because 100%. that's a really bad sign. That's a really bad sign. Whereas if you want to keep talking to him and you go, wow, I'm learning so much. This guy's interesting and funny and I want to spend a lot of time with him, then that's a very good sign.
1: So you're right. Like that's almost the main thing you're testing for. Yeah, if that's not to happen, you hire them mm-hmm. later and now you're trying to build trust. And as yeah. I said, how are you going to build trust? You're going to spend a lot of time with them. You're going to open up. You're going to talk about your mistakes, their mistakes. You, can, you know, get into mind melt. Good luck. You don't even like hanging out with this person. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. You
0: yeah, know, that is uh, th- that is problematic. So then, yep. um, this yeah, is, the- so how about, um, how, how do you know they're not working out? I mean, other than what I said, like, how would you think about that?
1: honestly it's 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 down to trust again if you don't trust that they're working out it's kind of over and as i said before when you doubt it this the slightest doubt you have it's probably just going to get worse and worse and worse yeah. um, the other thing is if their peers don't trust them that's okay but if the people below them do not have any trust in them then it's over too so it all comes down to trust all of this uh you know it it comes down to do you trust them do you trust them that they can run their, fu- their function and do the people believe in them as in this person as their kind of fearless leader uh, yeah but yeah but i think but i think you know the answer like with the moment you're asking these questions and you know <laughs> yeah. you know the answer uh, <laughs> Yep. you know what do you think i should do with this part like you know execs will come to me and say what do you think do you think this you know you have any? i want to pick your brain there is no picking your brain it's it's over mm-hmm. the fact that you're bringing it up it's you know you're just it's now now it's just a ritual for you to be able to do the hard thing about hard things and see the truth
0: yeah yeah no it, it's funny because the founder will say to me they'll be like well, I'm not sure if, you know, my VP of marketing is doing you know this correctly. How do I know if they're doing it right? I was like, the fact that they're not dazzling you and you're going like, "Oh my god, I would have never thought of that. Like this is incredible that you've figured out how to like market this super complicated thing and explain it and get it to all the people who need to know it." If if that's not your reaction, <laughs> if your reaction is well this doesn't make any fucking sense to me and I need to go diagnose it then it's probably is probably over at that point.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is much easier than people think. It's just uh, they just they just refuse to see the truth and they just waste yeah. a lot of time and make it painful for both sides um and just drag it out.
0: Yeah, well and it and it is, you know, that's that's a thing like if somebody's not going to work out, you do them a favor, you know, particularly in today's job market, by letting them know and moving on and getting them into an environment where they can succeed, because they're not going to succeed with you.
1: Which, by the way, might be in your company in a different role. Yeah. That's scoped down, or they're layered, and they can excel at the things that they're actually awesome. That that There is such a thing, actually. And I've done it, and it really works. You, know, you can take someone that's lost their confidence, yeah. their trust, and it's not working. And if you can just figure out what their strengths are and put them in that position, you can, they can actually be very successful and much happier. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. Not for everyone. But yeah, you, yeah. If, if, they, if they have clear strengths that you're seeing, which was what was making it difficult for you to make up your mind if you wanted to keep them or not, because they had some crazy strengths.
0: Well, you know, and it's also how tied they are to the position that they took with you and your company about their title, their role, you know, how how important that status was to them. Because, you know, for some people, that status is more important than personal development, growth, money, anything. Um, and if you try and demote somebody like that, they're never going to be happy.
1: Yes, I agree with that. But that you'll find out quickly. Within As soon as you make the change, they'll leave yeah. and they won't be okay with that or you'll find out quickly. But I found in many cases, if you figure out what their true strengths are, mm-hmm. and you put them in a new downscoped position where they're just focusing on their superpower and you've eliminated the massive weaknesses they have, whatever it is, if it's hiring or if it's communication or or if it's management, you know, but they're super I C. Uh, If you focus them on the thing they're good at, I've actually found, and and assuming they're okay with the sort of ego bruise of the change of role, as you mentioned, then I found that actually they'll come back after a while and say, you know, I'm so much happier now. You know, I don't know what I was thinking before. I'm super happy. This is awesome. Uh, I've seen that because, you know, they're actually succeeding because it's like, are you failing or are you succeeding? They are clearly failing. That's why you're making the change. If they're succeeding in a new role, they'll actually be happier and they'll be better, you know, they'll be better at home. They'll be better in their spare time. You know, they'll be just a much better person. Yeah, yeah,
0: no, I, I I agree with that. That's a that takes a lot of trust. Yeah, back to yeah. your original point, which is, yeah. uh, you know, why 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 the whole trust. It's kind of the underpinning of everything difficult that you have to do personnel wise. Is if people trust that you have their best interests in mind, um, and that's always your intention, which is a very difficult thing to build then you can do many, many more things than than if you don't have that.
1: Yeah, and scaling is also just about trust. Yeah. Scaling is just, delegation is about trust, and processes are about trust too. That you either trust the org, or trust the person, or you trust trust okay. the process. That it will do it, so that you don't have to get involved in it, and that way you can scale. So CEOs yeah. that struggle with this, I mean, really smart CEOs that are like, everything is bottlenecked on their decision making and they have to be in, in the loop for that. They can't make progress. Uh, either put a process in place or f- find a way to find trust in people and delegate it to them. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yep. No, that's a good point. It's a it's a scale point. It's a ability to adjust the organization when needed point. It's um yeah, so so much comes out of that. And it's it's hard to do because it's not or people neglect it, I should say, because Nobody thinks of the CEO job uh, as okay. What are you going to do today? Well, I'm going to build trust with my executive team and my employees. Like that's not generally, if you read a business book, that's not like a task um, that they prescribe. But it is.
1: It's fundamental to everything that you do. Yeah, because people focus on the things that you can check a box on the sort of strategic yeah. stuff. Like okay, you put you give them OKRs. Did they read through the onboarding material? Uh, right. You know, are they making smart decisions or bad decisions? Uh, is this the right way to do something or a bad way? But they're missing that. You know, a lot of this comes down to human trust.
0: Yeah, which kind of rolls us into the next question, um, which is interesting. Which is uh, we have amazing, we have an amazing culture here at I won't say the name of the company and want to preserve it as much as possible. Well, we're rapidly growing from 200 to 500 people this year. We invest a lot in onboarding, training, communicating clear company values and guiding principles to drive good behavior aligned with our culture. To what degree, if at all, should founders be involved in coaching slash mentoring new team leads as they join the organization to ensure they truly embody our core values and culture and pass it on to their teams.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh you know I would start with yeah. you know you, culture is not static. Your culture probably yeah. needs to evolve as you go from 200 to 500 people to
0: you yeah. Know.
1: yeah. So if you just want to stick to the old culture uh you probably need to evolve it but you can keep the great elements of it. One thing I didn't see there in the question is performance management. Because yeah a lot of culture comes not down to you communicating the values. Uh but it comes to actually making sure that the way you succeed in your company is by behaving a certain way. So for instance, if you want people to be... Yeah, yeah. Or or do you have the right incentive mechanism? So I would start with that. Are you Mm -hmm. making sure that for promotion, they need to behave according to your great culture that your startup of 200 people has? Uh, So if you want them to... For instance, let's say, which probably is not true, but let's say they have frugality as their cultural principle. They don't spend, yeah. they spend the company's money as if it was their own and all those kind of things. Is that something you're evaluating when you're promoting people and looking at it? And are you, are you going to not promote someone that's kicked ass in your company because they splurged? So that's, yeah. that's the first yeah. one, uh, I would say. The second one is, who are you hiring? Are you making sure that you're filtering based on that? Are you, are you yeah. passing on candidates that are amazing but they don't really, you know, you can see, you know, they'll come in and say, Hey, I need to be reimbursed this way and that way. And you need to pay for me my this and that. Well, that's in violation with your frugality principle culture at your company. You should not hire that person. I think that's more important than we have to communicate it and we have to like write about it and we have to do all hands about it and all those kind of things. Cause people are smart and they're going to see through it and they're going to see, that's not what's needed here. You know, to succeed, I need to do this. Thing.
0: Yeah. 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 You know, it's, um, I'm going to tell a. Uh, that this is a great point. I'm going to tell a story on it that got me in trouble, um, but I'm going to do a disclaimer. I, I told the story at Pinterest, but it wasn't set up right, you know, because it, it's a story from my book um, on culture. And, uh, you know, in today's world of like ridiculousness, uh, I think USA Today or somebody wrote a nasty story about me. But So please listen to the whole story before you say something nasty, audience. <laughs> um, So anyway, in the book, I I was kind of puzzling over, over this thing because, you know, when cultures go bad, it is off these like weird incentives and, um, and it is on the behavior. Like, what does it take? The, The question everybody asks when they enter the culture is what is it, you know, what do you have to do to succeed here? And so I was talking to my friend Shaka, who, um, you know, who was in prison culture, uh, which is kind of like, a it's a very good kind of instruction environment in the sense that it's a really extreme culture. Um, and of course, like if you're designing a prison system or whatever, you don't design it to be violent. And, you know, usually the people who come in, you know, whatever crime they've committed are never as violent. And you read about this all the time as, as the prison culture itself. So how does it get so violent? And he told the story. He said, look, Ben, he said, when I got to prison, um, you know, we came out of me and like six guys came out of quarantine, uh, which was, you know, kind of where they, you know, make sure you don't have any diseases or lice or what have you. And like the very first day, the very first day I'm in the rec area and a guy walks up to another guy and like takes out a shank and stabs him in the stomach. And then, or stabs him in the neck, I think. And then he walks away and uh, throws the shank in the trash and goes to the cafeteria and has a sandwich and the guy dies, bleeds out. And I said, wow. I said, what did you think when you saw that? He said, well, I, I, I had to ask myself, could I do that? And I said, you know, it took me back. Cause I said, Chuck, you're, you're in prison for murder. Um, so, like you did do that. He said, No, 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 I didn't do that. You didn't said, go out did, yeah, yeah, no. He said, No, no, no. What what I did was like, like a drug deal, like this guy who, you know, was supposed to stay in the car, who wasn't supposed to be at the deal, who I didn't know, jumps out of the car and you know, is coming at me very hostily. And I had a gun in my pocket, and I had just been shot like six months earlier. And I reacted. I pulled out the gun. I shot him. He said, That's what I did. This guy took a two liter bottle and spent like two weeks fashioning it into a weapon. And then he had to decide am I going to stab this guy in the neck or stab him in the stomach? Am I going to wound him or am I going to kill him? And then he stabs him in the neck and then goes to the chow hall and has a sandwich. He said, I couldn't do that. Um, But I knew that that's what I had to be able to do to survive there. And, you know, that struck me so hard because, you know, like it's a much lighter version in business, of course. But when somebody comes into your company and sees somebody, you know, take credit for somebody else's work who's a vice president, then that's the culture. It's not your values on the wall. It's that. It's, it's that incentive. It's the behavior that they see that the people who succeed have. That's what they're going to model. Um, and so to your point, um, I think what you have to focus on is, yeah, how are, what gets rewarded here? Um, what are the behaviors that make you like our favorite employee? And that's what people are going to do. It's not going to be what you kind of ask them or teach them to a large degree. It's going to it's going to be the actual thing. Sorry, that yeah. was a colorful story.
1: Or overall, that's awesome. Colorful, yeah. No, but yeah. it's awesome. That's how it works, right? I mean, we learn how in society, what do I need to do to succeed in this system that's set up here? And that's why you find countries where corruption is high and, you know, good people are involved in corruption all the time because that's how you learn. That's how it's, you know, that's how you get by. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's the culture that's there, uh, you know, that those governments of those countries don't get up there, you know, in the parliament and say, you know, we believe in cor- corruption in this country. Uh, right, you know, okay. they're doing the things you know, that any HR team would do which is say we want to fight corruption that's like the number one thing they keep saying we're going to fight corruption fight corruption but the system is such that you succeed by uh, being corrupt and that's what you will do too uh, so it's the same thing I think that's more important than the communication aspects uh, that they emphasize that a lot of people like to emphasize the, I think another corollary of this which I think people don't like is that the culture of your company will be the culture of the CEO so you are kind of the culture because since people will look at you and your behavior and they'll say, well, if that works, um, then that is how we behave here, right? That's what we just discussed. Well, then that means you have to adhere 100% to the culture all the time. Well, uh, yes, it,
0: if it, that works in the negative, but not necessarily in the positive, though, Ali. What so, do you mean? Well, your behavior. So, look, if you want people to be responsive and on time and you're late and unresponsive, then nobody's going to be responsive and on time. However, if you are responsive and on time and you have a big (laughs) organization, that doesn't mean everybody's going to be responsive and on time. You have to, there are other mechanics. There are other things that you're going to have to do to get, you know, particularly as you grow and you bring in people from other cultures to get them to comply to your way of doing things. Yeah, hundred percent.
1: I guess I've, Mean it in the negative way, in the sense that yeah. if you if you put the culture principle that hey we're going to be truth seeking in this company, you can't go around and lie to people. That, yes, uh, so,
0: yeah, that 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 that'll kill it instantly, absolutely.
1: Right, and if well, you're a person that, yeah, and if you like to change, you know, uh, you know, not completely be 100 percent truthful, if that's in your DNA and that's your personality, it's actually not going to really work in that company for you to be the CEO and put that as a culture principle. That culture principle won't really survive. Yeah, yeah,
0: that 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 that's exactly right. Um, and what, which is why, and the way I always think about that is don't put stuff in the culture that you aspire to, but aren't willing to do yourself. Um, you, you know, people will, will do things like that. Like we're, we're really serious about performance management, but, and we're going to give everybody written feedback, except for I'm not going to give my reports written feedback, like that kind of thing. Right, um, right, right, right. that's going to cascade. <laughs> And, no. and there's no
1: nobody's going to listen to what you say. They're going to only listen to what you do on that. Yeah, 100%. Um, the performance management part when you're managing people out also is important. That you, mm-hmm. you do, do. That's my question for this 200-person company. Are you managing people out that don't really fit that culture, even if they're super successful? If they're brilliant, they're awesome, and they have huge impact. Are you doing that? Because it's actually really hard to do that. Because as a startup, yeah. you need those wins that yeah. that person is providing you so you're going to manage them um, out that's right uh, that, that, that is
0: and i would say this is particularly true when they um that's a great insight it's particularly true when they kind of come from you know another environment where that had a different culture than than what you want um and so they're kind of doing what made them succeed before and you have to be willing to basically say, look, you have to comply to our culture, and then if they're not willing to do that, then you've got a very hard decision, particularly if they're massively talented, which, look, culture violators are often massively talented. Yeah. Otherwise, it's easy. You know, it's them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no. The, the people who have low performance are all are always very willing to comply to the culture.
1: Yeah, and the ones you're worried about are exactly the ones that are so brilliant that they're actually having massive impact and people are following them. So they're so good that they could actually completely change the culture of your company. Uh, And you might not want that, but they're getting you the results. Yep,
0: yep. No, uh, 100%. 100%.
1: And that also goes to leaders. You hire a leader. Many leaders come in and they say, you know, I mean, that's one of the reasons a lot of people hire a leader to say, do they have a network? Are they going to hire people and bring with them? And you know you hire people that are great that have networks and they bring in their people from their previous two companies. Well, yeah. guess what? You just bought the culture of those two previous companies in that subgroup. Yeah, yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes, you did. Uh, and, well, that
0: that's the one of the things that um, Ross Perot said that I loved, which is you know in Silicon Valley, people are always like, oh, we're going to get like you know, and the recruiters will do this. So, Get oh we got one person out of Google now let's get the other like twenty people out of Google that they know um, and the thing that Ross Perot said was eagles don't flock I only <laughs> want the one great one I don't want the whole freaking team and the <laughs> and part of that was a cultural thing because if you get twenty people from one place they're going to change your culture or it's really hard to deal with it because they're going to come all as a group with that culture.
1: Yeah. Uh, unless you can get that leader to really align with you, which you need to have trust. And it's going to be yeah. painful for them. And then they have to retrain all of their people. But it's a tall order. Very tall order. Yeah. 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 No, in no sales, question. this is particularly the case. You know, sales, um, you know, they typically go in groups and they work together for 10, 20 years.
0: Yep. Yeah. 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 No, no, for sure. Um, I I think though, but you know, with sales it's a little easier to do that because they um, work independently of each other. And some, well, although no, no it, it is a hard problem with sales, too, but you, you got to get them to conform. Um, yeah. Definitely, definitely. OK, here's a question that is a great one for you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> if you have an exec that is doing a reasonable job, but you feel there is someone better out there for you or the company, How would you handle finding the replacement if the exec leaving immediately would cause short term pain and create a hole in the org? Would you, one, keep the exec in the role and replace if a rock star candidate opportunistically appears, (laughs) um, which generally they don't (laughs) opportunistically appear? Uh, Would you start a clandestine search? This seems hard to keep quiet and, quite frankly, a bit deceitful. Three, tell the exec you are going to replace them or level them. If so, how do you have this conversation about leveling? Four, are there any ways to minimize the short-term fallout pain of the exec leaving or behaving badly after the leveling conversation? Five, related to the above, have you ever seen an instance when you have a conversation about leveling and the exec was able to stay at the company and be productive or up their game. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad I'm asking you this question because you've dealt with this a bit at Databricks over the years.
1: Yeah, so maybe a little history. When I came into Databricks, uh, I headed up engineering for many, many years. So we did a CEO transition in 2016. And I pretty much realized that I basically need, um, I needed new e-staff. So over the next couple of years, I actually did 12 searches, exact searches. Um, I think I got two of the searches wrong, actually. So I kind of didn't hire really well for two of the cases. Um, But in many, many, many of these cases, uh, I ended up actually getting the people to stay in the organization. And I think two cases, people were sort of, nope, I'm out. Like, you know, you're laying me. This is it. I remember one person, uh, you know, just told me, I'm not going to report to a new person. You know that, Ali. <laughs> and I said, but why not? You agree with these problems. You agree that we can bring someone that can fix these and so on. And so look, don't you know me by now? I would never report to ahead of this. You know, so no, I'm done. And <laughs> that person quit. Um, yeah. you probably know who it is. Yeah, um, and exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a couple of cases like that. And you know, now fortunately for us, if you look at our equity how it grew and the company valuation, you know, I, I I don't think that was the right decision by them. Um, but we have great relationship with all of them. Um, You know, I still keep in touch with all of them. I like them all, they're all, I feel like they're family, they helped create Databricks. But in the vast majority of cases, I actually got all these folks to stay and report to a new person. And I kind of tag teamed it with a new exec to make sure that I get the existing person who's gonna be a little bit grumpy to to stay in their role. So I kept still doing one-on-ones with them. And, you know, I try to get the new exec wins, so basically you're trying to build that trust now between these two new people. Um, so I've been able to actually do that quite a few times. And I think it's, I'm surprised that people always uh, want to fire when that option actually exists because these people that have been with you for three, four years, unless they're toxic and they're actually bad for the culture and they're doing bad things, in which case you should get them out. Uh, if it's just a matter of they can't scale anymore, they can't scale to this particular level you're at now, or you know, they, it's they've just sort of tapped out, uh, because your company is growing faster than, than than their career is growing or how fast they're progressing, then I think there's a lot of value in keeping them around. They can actually help the existing, the new guy or gal be successful. And pretty much in every one of those departments where I had e-staff members that I hired in, I planted or kept one of these people that had been from the early days there. And that person actually ended up being crucial to make the new executive uh, that they reported to now successful. Uh, Because they had all the context, they knew the product, they knew everything. So, you know, all those things that you were talking about, uh, Ben, earlier, like, you know, the millions of things that, you know, all the little quirks about your organization, all this context that you have. Well, a lot of these early employees have that. So I find them extremely valuable to inject them into existing orgs. They end up being very powerful in those orgs, maybe too powerful, but I think they actually help these existing execs. Uh, I basically have one in each of the orgs. Um, The other thing I would say is, if you want to do an exec, if you know, if you want to do an exec search and you want to find an exec, um, you should do a full-blown search. And you should get an exec firm. I think everybody agrees on that. Unless you have amazing exec recruiting function internally, you should probably pay someone and do it properly, full speed, uh, and you should sort of do that properly. And to do that, you, that basically means the information is absolutely gonna reach the person that you're thinking about. Oh, yeah, it's in the market. Yeah, yeah. so you might as well just tell them up front. And that also creates a good cultural principle in the company that you're not just going to one day get whacked. It's not just I'm not just going to show up one day and fire you on the spot and I have your replacement in place. Uh, Because that creates that's It's really hard to build that trust based culture that I mentioned earlier where people admit mistakes. When they know that if they admit the mistake to you, you might suddenly just show up one day and say, hey, I have a new replacement for you. Uh, but the real que- the question was really about opportunistic hires, like, you know, finding someone that you think is, uh, you know, OK, I have a great exec, but I find even someone even better. Uh, I find that difficult uh, because you've built this trust with this exec and it's working and they're doing well. How do you really, really, really know that this other person that's outside, A, you can build trust with them in the same way, and B, that they're actually going to work out so well in your organization? Because to to some extent, people's success oftentimes have to do with when they joined, which company was it, what was the product, so on. You know what I mean? Like if you're early 20, 21st people at Google, uh, you probably did pretty well, and you know you yeah. probably have a good name for yourself. So how do you know that you just hired that person into your company and you know replace the exec you had that's already working that that's going to be a slam dunk? I'm not so sure. So I would be hesitant. I would take the meeting and meet them. Um, but I haven't bumped into the situation where I actually have just found suddenly someone that's like, oh, wow, I have like, you know, this, my CFO is awesome, but I found someone even better now.
0: Yeah, that, that is, um, that's generally not the way it happens. It takes so long to understand somebody's capabilities and their reputation, um, and you know when you're hiring an executive there you know they have such a long lineage of people who have worked for them uh and you need to talk to a lot of them to get like a full picture of who this person is uh and yeah you're not going to just get that in a happenstance meeting that's there is no like um, opportunistic rock star i don't think or also well it's hard Yeah, it's very unlikely, particularly for your company. I mean, because it's not just like somebody might be a rock star, but like, will they be a rock star in your context is always the more difficult part of the question.
1: The the other thing with rock stars, probably you think they're a rock star because they had an amazing CV and they crushed it at the previous company. That's why you're saying they're a rock star, right? You didn't just find some 20-year-old. So so then you have all these issues that maybe they made too much money on that opportunity and maybe they're not hungry again and maybe they're not going to come in and work their ass off. Uh, yes, you.
0: well, it, yeah, you know, that is a. I I have to say, you know, one of the biggest challenges I ever had was, you know, hiring executives who were already pretty rich <laughs> um, because they're great or, you know, they can be fine when things are going well, but the problem is, you know, when everything's going well, you don't really need a great executive. You know, you need them when things are, when you can't figure something out. And they're gonna kind of unbreak the log jam and get you to the next level. Um, but when things get really tough, I mean, and things got very, very much tougher in my company than they've gotten at Databricks so far in Knockwood. Um, Let's keep it that way. You know, rich people are just like, This is too hard. <laughs> like I'm rich. Why am I
1: doing this? So, I don't need to deal, I don't yeah. need to deal with this bullshit yeah exactly like, you know i don't need to deal with this crap and you're like giving me a pushback on this crap do you know which company i was at before this like you know what mm-hmm. this is like a tiny scale compared to what i did but, you know my team was like eight times bigger than this team that i have now and i'm telling you you should just do it my way and you're gonna argue it's like dude i don't have time for this bullshit and now you're like blaming me for things not going well and so on i don't need this like you know yeah. um so you know i'm not saying necessarily i mean there might be much much better execs out there but i'm a little bit surprised by the question that you're saying hey you know just by the way just walking by I found a much better CFO mine is really good but I found an even better one yesterday um, and the fi- the final thing I will say on this is think about the cultural precedent that you're setting in your company um, so you know uh, it's it's got to be fairly transactional in in your company in the sense that anytime they might find someone better you might get capped and imagine just what that would do to you as a CEO if you knew that your board is doing that all the time like the moment they find someone slightly better uh, they're just going to replace you Um, what that would be to you and how you would behave and how open you would be about your mistakes and how transparent you would be. So I am skeptical. I'm not going to say never, never, but skeptical. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I think you're right.
0: And I think on that note, with that, with that very stern warning that you gave, uh, we've hit the six o'clock mark. So that is um, our boss talk for this week. Um, I'd like to thank Margaret and Jules and David Yulovich for coming up and helping things get warmed up. And thank everybody for their questions and for coming. And uh, thank you, Felicia, for that great opening question. And uh, we will see you next week on Boston. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Send in your questions. These are awesome. Thank you. Okay, thank you.
1: Bye, everyone.